0: Everyone remembers our war in Vietnam and the massive protests against it. But who remembers May Day, 1971? I sure do. I was there. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely.
1: Call a code. Get
0: ambulance back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means the synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through.
1: Prosperity
2: for Central America is based on an economic model on foreign investment and foreign profits, on the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America
1: and exploit the people of Central America. The
2: guy who really founded that connection between Israel and the evangelicals was Bibi Netanyahu. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, much too much of a role in this country, and without them knowing what it was doing. There's not going to be a war by Russia to conquer the United States. There's not going to be a war by China to conquer the United States. No country is going to conquer the United States. The United States is destroying itself because of the size of its military. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy, and uh, that people don't feel they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man.
0: And of course, that last voice was of our president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, who really kicked off the war in Vietnam, which everybody remembers. And we all know that what started small in 1965, with only a tiny minority opposing the war, anti-war demonstrations got bigger and bigger until there were a half million in the streets of Washington, D.C., And despite the growing clamor against it, the war just kept going. Something different had to be done. We remember the turmoil, the protests... But who remembers May Day, 1971? My hair was longer, I was a college student, and I had successfully lobbied the student council at Wyndham College in Putney, Vermont, for funds to pay for a bus to take us to D.C. as part of the May Day Tribe, the demonstration against the war. Something new. Much of the following was written by Steve Early, a longtime Boston-based National Union representative for the Communications Workers of America, and he's written four books about labor and politics, including Save Our Unions. Here's a description from him before I get into uh, my own memories of that. Kicking off on May 1st, the May Day actions resulted in the largest number of civil disobedience related detentions in U.S. history, about 13,000 including me. Organizers of the May Day 1971 anti-war actions had publicly announced their intention to shut down the nation's capital by blocking its streets, bridges, and buildings. We figured, well, let's just stop the war by stopping the city for one day. Of course, that was symbolic, Back to his writing, that plan was thwarted by nearly twenty thousand local, state, and federal police officers, National Guard members, U.S. Marines, paratroopers from the Army's 82nd Airborne, and the 6th Armored Cavalry Regiment from Fort Meade in Maryland, all against us. The heavy-handed crackdown had lasting effects, as L.A. Kaufman argues in her 2017 book. Direct action May Day influenced grassroots activism for decades to come laying the groundwork for a new kind of radicalism, decentralized, ideologically diverse, and propelled by direct action. The huge peach demonstrations held in Washington, D.C. on weekends, weekends during the spring of 1970 and the fall of 69, were big. Each involved bussing in large crowds of people, doing a little marching around, listening to speeches and music, then going back on the buses to go home. For some in the anti-war movement, this familiar routine, what one critic called dull ceremonies of dissent, began to feel futile and too easily ignored by the Nixon administration. So May Day was to be different. A nonviolent ramping up. Tens of thousands of activists would come to Washington ready to camp out and disrupt business as usual on a weekday. When thousands of federal workers were trying to get to their jobs, May Day Collective envisioned widespread mobile civil disobedience. Protests would come to Washington as part of small homegrown affinity groups ready to disrupt and run. Not damaging property or harming people, but definitely trying to paralyze commuter traffic entering the nation's capital on Monday, May 3rd, 1971. As protesters roamed downtown D.C. dodging huge tear gas barrages, we created small barricades, left disabled cars and roadways, or temporarily blocked intersections with mobile sit-ins. And I will say, I do believe the police knew our plans better than we did. D.C. Police Chief Jerry Wilson suspended the use of field arrest forms and accompanying Polaroid picture-taking that linked particular officers to individual arrestees. On May 3rd, Nearly 7,000 people were detained. Hey, that's me, but with almost no information about who they were, what they had done, or who had arrested them. Had I run and not walked, people were yelling, walk, don't run, I might have gotten away to do a little bit more. But it was an unmarked van, they yanked me in and took away my Swiss Army knife as a concealed weapon. Oops! Anyway, back to uh, Steve Early's writing. Even critics of our attempted disruption, and there were many in politics and the press, soon expressed concern about the circumstances of our confinement and the militarization of the city. Mm-hmm. The authorities' use of mass preventive detention, which led some uh, to some non-protesters, including reporters being swept off the street as well, paralyzed the jo- local jail and court system, Uh, Thirteen months later, Nixon administration operatives, who had organized the arrests and the tactics to bust us up, they were caught burglarizing and bugging the Democratic National Committee. Uh, That scandal, of course, ended with Nixon facing impeachment and ultimately resigning in August of 1974. Many of the architects of that police crackdown, Nixon's advisors, went to jail themselves. Now, I beg your indulgence as I read from my own 50-year-old college paper, now a bit gray in color, for U.S. government class, which, I admit, was called Superb and a Spring Poem by the wonderful, inspiring late Professor Dave Leonard. As I read it, please keep in mind there's some degree of naivete from the then 20-year-old me. No doubt May Day was the biggest uprising in America since the Civil War. People were tired of pleading to deaf bureaucrats for an end to the war. Many were desperate, enraged. We sought not merely to protest the war and gain support, but to make a beginning of a movement by the people to take action to force an end to the war, with or without action by the officials in government. We who went to D.C. were willing to do what is needed to end the killing. No longer could we protest and then go home. We knew that the government must be made aware of what is happening to the people. We've reached a point where we must show the world that there is chaos in America because our consciences won't permit us to do otherwise. We are willing to put our bodies on the gears of the machine if that will stop it. I learned a lot in Washington. This is still from the uh, 1971 paper. I learned a lot in Washington that the only way the place could ever be stopped immediately would be to burn it to the ground. Of course, that is the solution if one can only deal with immediacy. The urgency is there, and I would not cry if it was destroyed. Of course, I would. That's ridiculous, but I was 20 years old. But I might as well be realistic and hope that the demonstrations did shake things up sufficiently that changes will occur. I expect they will. The legal fights that remain to be seen should prove the most constructive. The government will indict more people for conspiracy to riot, including some of the Chicago 7 and my friend Abby Hoffman, and the people's lawyers will try to sue the government for various reasons. The cops came down really hard. Nixon has praised them for their restraint. Fact is, anyone with long hair was the enemy, plain and simple. I found their... Actions to be the paranoid expressions of a dying culture that does not want to die. The fact that 13,000 people, including myself, were arrested shows the degree of its insecurity. One of the more interesting lessons was finding out the priorities of businessmen and police of D.C. We demonstrators on Monday were committing the high crime of attempting to stop traffic. Interrupting the workday ritual of the American culture. Sure, the war is bad, and 73% of us at that time officially wanted it to end, but no, you have no right to interfere with our daily routine. That's precisely where the problem is. Most of the public feels that the war was a mistake. That makes the problem clearer to me. The fact that people think of the war as an error shows that The narrow nationalism that got us into the war is still with us. The many liberals who said that they were against the war, but get out of my way or I'll be late to work, is the prime example. Who were we to interfere with their apolitical business? They don't yet see the nature of the war. That America is perfect. That progress for the business of America is progress for the world. That we have what the whole world wants. Who are the long-haired freaks to stop our righteous work? We are people. We are human. We believe ourselves to be more than machines with a function to perform. We have known for many years that the daily lives of the Vietnamese have not been normal or free from the imposed war for about 20 years. The only way the war can continue is if the business of America continues. The war is dependent on the American business machine. If it were to stop, the war would end. Is it a crime to attempt to do that for one or two days? Many of the liberals were angered because of the fact that they were also against the war and didn't want their movement messed up by a bunch of radical, long-haired crazies. They want the war to end and then continue with business as usual to get America rolling again. It never will. Our objectives are different. The liberals see Vietnam as an isolated issue, that it was Johnson and Nixon, and if we get a new president, uh, things will all be better. They fail to see that Vietnam is intimately related to racism, sexism, corporate growth, political repression, etc, etc. Reform versus revolution, once again, winning a lot more to the revolution side all the time, through understanding the roots of the war. Numerous examples. In my cell, among fourteen others in the six by eight cage was a Vietnam veteran. He had joined the army before he would have been drafted. He was really gung-ho America when he joined. As a direct result of his experiences over there, he became radicalized. He had been at the April 24th demonstration and had thrown away his medals. He was really enraged at the war's continuance. He knew how it really was over there. He said that this was the last demonstration he was going to. He said, from now on, I'm going underground. I have no idea whatever happened to him. One of the main objectives of May Day was to talk to people. And that we did, and that we won. Everybody would talk to any straight person that would listen. We were aware that they weren't our enemies. They were people, just like us, merely caught up in something they can't or don't want to see. Leaflets explaining our position were widely distributed, and as cars were stopped, we'd hand the driver a leaflet, ask him or her if he or she wanted to stop the war, and that it would end if people didn't go to work. Contrary to the news, many targets were effectively halted. Key Bridge, a main artery, was blocked for a long time with the help of an overturned, flaming car of a Mayday person who volunteered it. Lots of cars were trashed. Mayday volunteers' cars only. Where people could get near targets, they'd mingle among the slowed traffic and sit and talk. It was as successful as it could have been, given that the police army knew our tactics and targets and had one hell of a lot more experience than we at this sort of thing. They played war and thought they won, very much like Vietnam. At the end, there was a headline, Troops Pull Out <laughs> of Washington. They had army and police reconnaissance helicopters circling the city, reporting the position of the enemy to ground troops, we were the enemy, I guess, who then moved in for attack on motor scooters. A group of 15 to 25 scattering the enemy, who regroups and does it again and again. The Americans infiltrate the enemy, pick out leaders, arrest them for conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. And like Vietnam, they think they won, but they lost. They cannot win. The revolution cannot be stopped by stopping the leaders, for there are no leaders. We're all leaders. In protecting the American way, they destroy it. In jail, we tried to relate as people to people, but that could not be done. It was strictly cops and prisoners. could not break that barrier. The cops acted not as individual human beings, but as stormtroopers for an invisible dictator, destroying individual freedoms and the Constitution for the laws of business and money. They thought they could stop us by putting in unbelievably cramped jails for many hours, but they were wrong. As soon as we were freed, thousands of us went back on the streets and were arrested again, Reporters said every morning from Sunday on that we were dispersed and had gone home. Then they ate their words when huge crowd gathered at the Justice Department, then at the Capitol, then at the Saigon Embassy. Talking to federal employees was most successful. They read, they listened, mostly they saw. They saw cops mercilessly beat on any long hair they could catch. Even if he was doing nothing wrong. Perhaps most helpful was when many businessmen saw the Justice Department affair. Everyone watching could see that the demonstration was just about over. People were leaving when the cops moved in. They sealed off both exits and arrested everyone left in the middle. Businessmen watching were saying, what did they do that for? That's really stupid. Over 1,000 federal employees marched with us to the Capitol on Wednesday as a result. Yeah. One objective with May Day was to show America and the world that the streets of America would be in chaos if the government refused to accept the People's Peace Treaty and continued with the war. We achieved that. The cops in D.C. were kept busy all the time. Boston, Brooklyn, Chicago, San Francisco all erupted Wednesday and Thursday. Cops across the country knew that was happening. They felt required to line the streets everywhere, even in Putney, Vermont, just in case. Beautiful. The cops and businessmen knew it was the start of a real long hot summer, which it wasn't really, and desired to show tremendous force early so that we would be stopped early. I don't think it will quite turn out that way. The police, army, united us so closely together that the bonds will never be broken. Out of fear, we turned to each other. Our people was and is a community. That is perhaps the most important thing to come out of the experience anarchy. And who cleaned up the garbage? The usual question, the unusual answer, we did. Not the people labeled garbage collectors, but we. How did we eat? We ate well. Those who had, gave. Many of us had no money to get out of jail. Wherever there was a need, almost instantly, in every case, it was filled We were White Panthers, Yippies, Weathermen, Black Panthers, SCLC, AFSC, Old Ladies, Women's Lib, Gay Lib, and countless others. I personally found the Gay Lib region uh, among the happiest and freest and friendliest and most willing to help. Gay Lib was new at that time. We weren't afraid to call each other brother and sister. We really meant it. We weren't afraid to touch each other. We touched. We weren't afraid to say we love each other. We loved. We love. As far as I can see... Wrapping up the paper now, it was Woodstock Revisited. The people loved each other and were unified and very together, but this time rock music was incidental. No no one much cared to listen among the demonstrators, and there was lots of pig harassment. Yes, I did use that word, but that was the inevitable outcome. Don't they see that this is what they've been trying to have for generations? We grew out of their world and are what they want to be. We are human. Our guest now is Jay Craven, who helped lead the May Day 1971 actions in Washington, where nearly 13,000 of us were arrested, committing civil disobedience, making it the largest mass arrest in U.S. history. Jay Craven, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Jay Craven is a filmmaker, teacher, and arts activist living in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom. His 10 feature films include Where the Rivers Flow North with Rip Torn, to to Cardinal and Michael J. Fox, and disappearances with Chris Christopherson, Genevieve Buchold, and Gary Farmer. Not a bad uh, repertoire. In 1970, uh, Craven was student body president at Boston University's College of Liberal Arts, and he was invited to participate in the National Student Association's delegation to meet with Vietnamese student leaders on all sides to make a People's Peace Treaty, working That following spring, to circulate the peace treaty as a means to push for a negotiated settlement and an American withdrawal from Vietnam. 58,000 Americans and probably over a million Vietnamese died in the American War. Many of us felt our consciences wouldn't rest until we knew we did all we could to bring an end to the racist imperialist war. The young people at May Day grew up as proud patriots with the knowledge that we Americans would always stand with small nations against oppressive colonial powers. The war in Vietnam had been sold to us as a struggle between Russia and China-backed invading communists against people of the the freedom-loving South. The Cold War frame was slapped on a struggle, uh, first against French and then against us. Of course, it all ended not with a treaty, but with a military victory for the National Liberation Front, also called the Viet Cong, and the North Vietnamese Army. Tell us, please, about the People's Peace Treaty that the May Day event was there to support, that the U.S. missed out on.
2: Um, Well, the the People's Peace Treaty was uh, initiated by the South Vietnamese Student Union. These are the people living in, in the areas that were you know, supposed to be the areas that we were there for. Uh, you know, the, there was a, obviously a, a government in South Vietnam in Saigon, the the Thieu regime, um, and the students who were part of that Amer- essentially American-controlled area. In fact, were part of a peace movement in South Vietnam that were also demanding the, the withdrawal of the United States. And so, these student leaders uh, in South Vietnam, the elected president of the South Vietnamese Student Union, approached the United States National Student Association and said, look, we have this idea uh, for a communication between ourselves and you, and then, of course, the student leaders from the National Liberation Front of South Vietnam, as you call the Viet Cong, and also the North Vietnamese students. And, And we would like all of these parties to join in a discussion to determine if there is a common scenario where we can all agree on peace, starting with the withdrawal of American forces. And so the president of the National Student Association responded positively. He traveled to Saigon and we put this in motion. And it's really the only people-to-people effort during the war that involved both North Vietnam, South Vietnam, the National Liberation Front, and the United States, um, you know, some people thought, "Oh, this must be a, a propaganda trick by the North Vietnamese or whatever." But that's not at all what happened. Um, and of course, Vietnam was was historically not a divided country. Right. The reason that, that, that North and South Vietnam even existed as separated entities was because of the Geneva Agreements in 1954, after the Vietnamese defeated the French occupiers. Right. And the, 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 the peace treaty that was drawn up then called for a temporary division of just a couple of years while elections would be organized uh, that would then reunite the country. Um, But unfortunately, as we know from the Pentagon Papers, the United States sabotaged that peace agreement and immediately installed a government in South Vietnam that they planned to have serve as a proxy for American interests, Mm. sort of Cold War mentality, and have it go from there. So anyway, the peace agreement was fairly simple. I mean, calling for the setting of a date of the United States to withdraw its forces after which American POWs would be released, after mm. which elections would be held, after which there would be efforts to rebuild the country and, and foster some kind of peaceful relationship, uh, certainly between Vietnam and the United States.
0: And it does... I remember at the time, and this was 50 years ago, thinking that this it wouldn't necessarily guarantee a victory for either side. But uh, that, that all sides, all people who were directly affected could participate in this. What a concept. And that's, <laughs> I, I think, today, looking back, had the U.S. agreed to the People's Peace Treaty, we would have ended up in a better position than it actually ended on April 30th, 1975, which was just flat-out defeat. And- right, yeah. I, I, one of the things that I remember there was concern at the time, back in, you know, in May 1971, there was concern among uh, liberals protesting the war that our actions at May Day by blocking the city, you know, using civil disobedience to shut down the center of the war making machine would alienate the mainstream liberals. And there was a lot of discussion about that. What are your thoughts now, looking back 50 years on that? And, you know, what about that concern about alienating the mainstream uh, liberals who were against the war, who kind of thought it was a mistake that we went in with the best of intentions? Your, your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I know it's interesting. There was a debate on television, um, on WGBH um, in Boston, the PBS station. I believe it was broadcast nationally, um, and it involved a debate between um, William Kunstler, uh Rennie Davis, who was who uh-huh. sort of initiated the call to May Day, and Howard Zinn against Allard Lowenstein, who was a well-known uh-huh. liberal of that time. Yep. Senator Philip Hart of Michigan, another huh. Democratic liberal and a fellow named Roger Fisher, who was a liberal attorney in Boston. And the argument was, the liberals were arguing that by committing civil disobedience, it will prolong the war, and if you'll just leave it to the liberals, we will have American troops out of Vietnam by December 30th, 1971. And they repeated that assertion time and again during this hour-long debate. And the truth is that, you know, liberals in the the Congress voted in 1970 to end the war and to stop funding, and it was defeated. Liberals, again, in 1971, brought it forward. George McGovern and Mark Hatfield for the Mm -hmm. second time. It was again defeated. There was a third effort in 1972 to pass legislation to end the war, and it was again defeated. In fact, it was not until June of 1973 that Congress finally voted to end funding for American troops in Vietnam three months after the American troops were were to be withdrawn, according to the Paris Agreement of 1973. The American troops were scheduled to be gone by March. They were moving out. And three months later, the American Congress finally mm-hmm. voted that we should stop funding the American troops, but we will continue funding the South Vietnamese troops. So, the promise of the liberals in the session that we uh, would, you know, spoil their good efforts to end the war turned out not to be true. But what is also shown is in the secret history of the secret talks between Kissinger and Le Duc Toe, the secret Paris peace talks that nobody knew about until very late in the game when they started to report some results. Uh, And these discussions started in, like, 1969. But on April 29th of 1971, just four days before the May Day demonstrations, Mm -hmm. Nixon announced publicly and also through Kissinger to... Le Duc the, the Vietnamese negotiator, that under no circumstances would the United States agree to set a date for the withdrawal of American forces. But on the very next meeting, which was three weeks after May Day, Kissinger arrived at the secret meetings in Paris and said, we will agree to set a date for the withdrawal of American forces with no conditions. At the next meeting, he said we will further agree to discuss reparations to North mm. and South Vietnam for damage that has been done, and we will no longer demand the removal of North Vietnamese forces from South Vietnam, which was a tacit admission to the fact that the that the that the two government would be you know would basically collapse. Yeah. Um, so, ironically what the liberals promised and failed to deliver at any point, it actually ended up easier to influence Nixon than it did to influence Congress. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the surprising thing. Uh, and it was only through the pressure that was placed on the Nixon administration. And it was not just Mayday, but also very powerful was the the Vietnam veterans against the war who showed up yes. just a week or so before we were there, and they were there for about a week, and who camped out on the Washington Monument grounds and oh, yeah. went to Arlington Cemetery and then threw their medals mm-hmm. back onto the steps of Congress. Yeah, that was powerful. And we know from reports inside the White House that there was a huge amount of concern, a huge amount of panic and you know, freaking out and people pointing fingers both over the Vietnam veterans and their actions and, frankly, over May Day Mm -hmm. and our actions. And so, like it or not, the pressure had to be increased. We committed to nonviolence. We kept our pledge. It was militant and it was disruptive. There's no question about that. But we were not attacking people in the streets. We were not trashing buildings. We were committing civil disobedience, and there's a long tradition to civil disobedience, certainly in the civil rights movement especially.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: so, you know, I, I think that, and I'd be happy to sit down with liberals who want to make that case, but, the, but after Kent State shootings and mm. Jackson State and the invasion of Cambodia, people marched, and there was a sense among a new generation of students in particular that marches where you, you know, go down to Washington, show up, listen to speeches and go home is fine, but it's not enough. We need to we need to raise the stakes, we need to increase the pressure on the administration, we need to go to the edge of power, stare it straight in the face and confront the issue. And that's what we did.
0: Fascinating. So it it does seem that the the White House was uh, really uh, freaked out, as you say. And uh, for those of you who have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is keeping democracy alive. We're speaking with Jay Craven, who was one of the leaders of the May Day 1971 actions in Washington that were effective. They were unique. And before we get to the end of this, we'll see how in what ways it was effective, but what were some of the targets of the action? I know that uh, my contingent was to uh, go to the key bridge and there were targets yeah. all over uh, the the city of Washington. And and what, were, what else were some of the targets and in what ways was, was it decentralized decision-making? How was that unique?
2: Well, um, you know, as I say, a lot of the demonstrations up till then had been a national call. Everybody shows up and then leaves. This this uh, demonstration it was an appeal to activists throughout the country to organize themselves into affinity groups within their own region. So mm-hmm. Boston was one region, and that included. Um, you know i don't know probably a hundred miles in, in perimeter vermont had its own region chicago had its own region philadelphia had their own region but anyway people would get together they began to meet and then they would break down into groups of three or four or five people and the idea was that they would plan their own action plan their own support systems frankly plan where they're going to stay and how they're going to stay and how they're going to get there and get back but that they would, you know, be self-motivating, self-actualizing on the ground. And then the Mayday office produced what was called a tactical manual, which identified, yes, I think it was 18 different targets throughout the city. Key Bridge, is, which is the bridge coming into Georgetown, um, the 14th Street Bridge, which comes into Washington, DuPont Circle, mm-hmm. you know, different Spots around the city, with the understanding that people from Chicago are going to immobilize this particular area, right. and people from, you know, the West Coast from San Francisco are going to immobilize this particular area using nonviolence. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the, some people debated, oh, you did not stop the government. I never for a minute thought we were going to actually stop the government. Right. The idea was to disrupt business as usual. To say that as long as the war continues, if the government won't stop the war, then the people will stop the government. Well, fine. But the goal was to become present, to become uh, very clear in our message, to become more dramatic in our tactics, and to, yes, have decentralized leadership that would take charge of the actual event so that you could arrest Rennie Davis, for example,
1: mm-hmm. which the
2: government did. It wouldn't make any difference. The point is that leadership was decentralized, and people were doing their own actions, and they were in charge of themselves. It resulted, as you said, in the biggest mass arrest in American history. But of the 13,000 arrests, there was 12,614 people arrested. And of those 12,614 people, only 79 of the arrests held up in court. Because the government resorted to sort of dragnet tactics, grabbed everybody they could, threw them into buses, took them to a soccer stadium, um, didn't feed people for a long time. I mean, it was it was we 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 may not have stopped you know the postage service from um, you know, delivering packages, but we definitely stopped the court system and the jail system from operating in any other way other than to deal with us. Nixon, Called in eight helicopter uh, transport Chinook helicopters that landed on the, the grounds of the Washington Monument at 8:30 in the morning, disgorging Marines and Army troops. Uh, it the, the government was showed its hand as an organization that would suspend arrest procedures, frankly suspend freedom of speech rights, yes. on the, for the people that protested on the third day at the at the Capitol building, those people, the, the, the police just closed in and arrested them while yeah. they were having a rally. Those people got cash settlements from the government, the first time it's ever happened, ranging between $2,000 and $10,000 because their civil rights were infringed because they were holding, essentially, a peaceful rally and were ordered to leave um, when it was considered a fundamental right of American people to... Um, you know, to nonviolently go to the Capitol and, and redress uh, their grievances. So, um, you know, it, it it was a dramatic action. Uh, it was something, there's actually a videotape also online, I think it's called May Day Raw. People could probably mm. find it. I know that it's streaming free, at least through May 7th. Um, which is was, was there were like 25 different sort of video gorillas <laughs> you know combing the city with what were called porta packs, the very first generation of video recording equipment. Uh, and they cut it all together and you you get a sense of the energy, you get a sense of how young and unkempt and long hair and everything else that we were at the time. Um, but you also get a sense of a certain, you know the connectedness and solidarity and focus on the war and um, you know that 's what happened
0: yeah, it was pretty great and i, I you talk about video i'm remembering uh, of course, we were chased out of the park at six a m and then lots of helicopters with their big doors wide open and the video cameras back then were not little, they were big. And they, I swear, yeah. they they took pictures of every single person there. They kept going around and around and around. That was their way of uh, spying on us and keeping track of us. Uh, and obviously, somebody cared about it. And I think, you know, it, it was different from, you know, n- not just that it was speeches and go home. There was something about values, you know, and that they're right now, you know, in, in 2021, the right wing is all about uh, culture war. And it does seem to me that, you know, with our long hair and everything back then, and I look better with short hair, in my opinion, but uh, th- th- this was the start of, of some kind of enthusiastic embracing of new values. And I wonder what you think some of those values were. And if some of them, perhaps a lot of them, remain applicable to the 2020s?
2: Some of the values that were represented by the students,
0: you mean? Yeah, it made a you know, political and cultural.
2: Yeah, well, I think that it was, first of all, um, a a feeling that um, when the government you know exceeds its authority i mean the the point is that the vietnam was never even there was never even war declared in vietnam which is supposed to be done by congress it was a there was an initial you know trumped up provocation at the gulf and uh, at the the gulf of Tonkin, where johnson linda johnson claimed that you know vietnamese attacked an american ship which actually never happened right Based on that, there began a long march of, of forces in there. but so I think that you know sort of the themes that were at work here were you know really don't you know don't lie to us, don't uh, don't commit these these atrocities that are taking place in our name. I mean certainly what Vietnam veterans added to this dialogue were uh, why you know how could you do this? How could you take young American, Boys, for the most part, a few women yeah, as well, mostly boys. and send us there under false pretenses to do really vicious, miserable, violent, frankly, illegal work and to have no shame and to persist. And so partly it was snap out of it and, you know, um, stop immediately. Yes, um, and But... I- because, partly because I think that the, the the decision to fight in World War II was considered something honorable to stop fascism. Yes. Although one could go back yeah. and argue how it was that fascism grew in Europe in the first place, which mm-hmm. had a lot to do with the impact of World War One.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um, the. You know, the, the, there was a sense, because American G.I.s who came back were well-received and had, were, were seen as be, had, having done heroic work, right. a lot of the veterans came back from Vietnam and said there was nothing heroic about what we have done over there. Right. So I think that there was a sense of moral outrage, a desire to, you know, not have a war fought in our name when we do not support it. Um
0: And I also think, wasn't there there also, you know, a sense of, this is about more than just ending the war. This is about freedom, about uh, ending sexism and racism and white male domination. I think this was sort of the spark uh, one of the sparks for that uh, that movement, and and you know the the idea of uh, long-haired hippies, uh, it did rile up the the right wing, and continues to do so. <laughs> and and we were like, yeah. yeah, we're in your face, and that that's right. what the you know the the LGBTQ movement is do is been doing for quite a while. Uh, you know, it's probably the start of some cultural change that the uh, right wing is still stuck on. And Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. No question. We on the streets got the attention of Nixon and his circle. I remember, and you mentioned the, the Wednesday action, I remember seeing Attorney General John Mitchell himself coming out on his balcony at the Department of Justice. Yeah. There was that street there. That's that went, right. And he was on the gl- second day,
2: a Tuesday. May 4th, 50 years ago today.
0: Oh, my goodness. He was glaring at us just before the police sealed the exits at the ends of the street before making their arrest. The point is, the street actions worked. It got their attention, and civil disobedience works. The foreign policy planners have refused to learn the obvious lessons from our loss in Vietnam. But somehow the people of America, a lot of us have come to believe and accept Oh, we're powerless. We can't do anything. But a republic depends on the consent of the governed. And I think that's one of the things that May Day was about, that we are not consenting. Making noise does get attention. And I remember when George W. Bush enacted his surge of 20,000 additional troops to his war in Iraq in 2007. Many... Uh, the same liberals, I guess, scoffed at the loud protest, which included banging pots and pans in city squares across the country. And I found that Molly Ivans' last column was in praise of this particular action. She said, we are the people who run this country. We are the deciders. And every single day, every single one of us needs to step outside and take some action to help stop this war. She was talking about the war in Iraq at the time. Raise hell. Think of something to make the ridiculous look ridiculous Make our troops know we're there for them And trying to get them out of there Hit the streets to protest Bush's surge If you can, go to the Peace March in Washington January twenty seventh, 2007 We need people in the streets Banging pots and pans Demanding stop it now As you said, you know, just stop it So now, and that's the end of her her amazing uh, work. I miss her terribly. Now, generally, when a Democratic president is in office, the left, whatever peace movement there is, gives him a pass. Obama got away with way too much. We hope Biden will not enact an imperialist foreign policy. But if he does, what lessons can May Day 71 offer us, do you think?
2: Well, one of the lessons is that American occupation does not work, and we can extend that. I mean, because the Vietnam experience was so traumatic all around and had such terrible, you know, um, repercussions that are still being felt, um, for a long time it was really impossible for the United States to undertake another military occupation like this and get away with it. They were still processing the shock of all that had happened. But 9-11 obviously triggered a response in Afghanistan, but it also triggered what was just completely nuts to me, which is going after Iraq, which had done nothing Mm. in any way, frankly, to cross the Americans. In fact, Saddam Hussein was essentially created by the Americans. Right in the early 1960s as the tough guy that was going to beat down people that were trying to, um, you know, people that were trying to nationalize oil and, and uh, yeah.
1: you
2: know, make, make Iraq more democratic. Saddam Hussein was our guy. Yeah. But anyway, we got tired of Saddam Hussein. We wanted yeah. to make a, a play for the resources ourselves and wanted to settle some scores and invaded Iraq. But, but what has come of the occupation of Iraq did we mm. achieve anything and the point is that there is total disorder in the region isis has grown out of that chaos uh iranian proxies essentially are now in le- in power in iraq which is presumably the group we least wanted to be mm. in power in iraq because we have this difficult relationship with iran yeah The occupation did not work. The occupation of Afghanistan did not work. And keep in mind that before we invaded Afghanistan, the Taliban, which was essentially in power, and we could go back and ask, how did the Taliban even come into existence? Uh And we would have to acknowledge our role in that because the United States and the CIA uh, infiltrated uh, Mujahideen forces, uh, Islamic forces, into Afghanistan when the Russians were there to destabilize the Russian occupation, which was not successful. But the Taliban lived to take control of Afghanistan, and then suddenly the guys that we had helped in the first place we no longer liked, and so like the same thing in Iraq. So I guess what I'm saying is that there are many examples of A, opportunistic foreign policy that comes back to bite you, number one. <laughs> That happened in Iraq, and it happened in Afghanistan. Uh, And and on the second part, that American military occupation does not work. That Here, the most technological and sophisticated military force in the history of the world is not able to prevail in these small third-world countries where there's very little technology at all. So, you know, if this were a business proposition...
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if you mm-hmm. were to look at the, the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan, 20 years of protracted conflict, trillions of dollars of money, people killed on both sides, if you looked at it as a business proposition, was it worth it? You know, and was the Vietnam War worth it? <laughs> Nothing was, uh, was gained. Not even, but if I were, you know, if in fact we were able to control the oil in Iraq, which is partly what we wanted to do, would that have been worth it? It's not even a matter of whether it would be worth it. It should be illegal. It is illegal. Yes. It is. It is the oil that belongs to the people there, and they are the ones who should make the decision about what happens to it. And frankly, they have. And guess who the primary beneficiary is of Iraqi oil? It's China. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely because they're less aggressive about how they do business. And they don't have to come in and control your whole country. They just want to buy the oil.
0: And interesting, you know, you talk about business propositions. Here we are today in 2021, and what is our relationship with the government of Vietnam? We're doing business with them. There's no. It's like that's right. Any other country. It's just you know trading. We're doing right. business that's right.
2: And so so here we have this decision this this relationship where we want to be in business with Vietnam where we're mm-hmm. selling them things and where the Vietnamese are you know operating factories that produce goods for the United States consumer market. Well then why do we have to spend all those years, you know, with the most sophisticated attack machine ever conceived mm. pounding on Vietnam? Ho Chi Minh.
0: Yes. I was hoping you get there.
2: Fought, Fought on behalf of the Americans against the Japanese who came to Vietnam during World War II. He assumed that the Americans would be his friends. He quoted the American Declaration of Independence and the Vietnamese Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if Franklin Roosevelt had lived, it probably would have been a different situation. But the Cold Warriors came out of the woodwork, especially in the State Department. Um, when Roosevelt died and began this fierce, you know, Cold War anti-communist
1: mm.
2: uh, crusade, thinking and and charging with no real evidence that the Vietnamese, among other things, were puppets of the Russians and the Chinese, which they were not. No, um, <laughs> the the Vietnamese have, frankly, a, a difficult relationship with China and always, always have. Always
0: have. You has, know, yes. Kublai
2: Khan and Genghis Khan and all the Khan brothers. You know blew into Vietnam in 1284, you know, A.D. or B.C. or A.D. I don't even know when the hell it was. But the point is, uh, this is not, I mean, it was a completely wrong reading of the situation. And the Pentagon Papers provide ample evidence, 7,000 pages of it, how we were wrong, it was impossible, and we frankly knew it was impossible from day one.
0: And all those lives and, and we limbs, persisted. all those lives and limbs lost, and the birth defects that are still happening from the Agent Orange that was dropped there. And let's, back to May Day a little bit. And yeah, we could have done business with Ho Chi Minh. It's, uh, it's amazing how we could have been exactly where we are now in 1954. You know, it just right. made peace yeah. with the Vietnamese victors, and it, it ended up exactly the same way it ended. Who
2: helped us out? Who helped us out against Japan? Yeah and the so died fighting Japan for the Americans.
0: Yes. It's important allies. It's important to think with history which we so rarely do. But uh May Day itself it didn't stop the war, it didn't shut down the government. Although I remember seeing a whole bunch of people at the State Department looking their, out their windows at us that we got their attention. So was it a success? Was May Day a success? I mean it, it failed to end the war that day. And, you know, we are Americans. We like it right now. And it didn't quite work out that way. But in what ways was it effective? In what ways do you think it was a success that, you know, history books don't generally talk about the May Day demonstration in 1971, but why is it important? In what way was it success?
2: Yeah, well, I pointed out the one element, which was how it affected the Paris Peace Talks, the secret conversations going on between Kissinger and Lé Essentially, this, this uh, shift in the, in the politics of that negotiation was the key breakthrough in the entire history of the, those peace negotiations. Only one issue remained on the table at that point, and that issue was United States support, Nixon's support, for the Q dictatorship in mm-hmm. Saigon. Mm-hmm. And so then one can ask, well, what, why was that the issue? Well, the reason that was the issue is because Nixon had secretly been involved in conversations with Q during the campaign in 1968 mm-hmm. where LBJ made a major peace initiative during the summer wanting to get progress on a, on a resolution to the war, a diplomatic solution to the war, and was hoping against hope that that would succeed and frankly would probably have helped hubert humphrey get elected but nixon on the meantime went and made a deal with Hugh saying if you will hold tight and not negotiate with johnson uh... we will give you a better deal we will fight to the finish with you you will you you will be you know first in my thoughts every morning when i wake up and Hugh said okay it's a deal and he withdrew from the paris peace talks uh... in in 1968, making it impossible for LBJ to initiate any kind of meaningful uh, diplomatic solution to the war. Johnson didn't find out about this until like six days before the election and chose not to blow the whistle. But all of this has now been documented fully, including tape recordings of telephone calls. So Nixon owed Q Q an enormous debt, and Chu never let him forget it. And even at the point where Nixon, frankly, just wanted to finish it off and get out, Mm. it became impossible. Chu was completely uncooperative because Chu's view was, look, pal, I'm I'm the reason you're in the White House. I will blow the whistle. I will tell the world you will never get reelected. And so Chu had his thumb... On Nixon, and so support for Chue strangely was never getting resolved until, frankly, even after the signing of the peace agreements in 1973, and um, even that vote in Congress in 1973, where where they said we'll continue to give money and aid and military to to Chu held the trump card in Vietnam, and he, he was calling the shots, and Nixon, frankly, was doing his bidding. Now. During the time that there were allegations that Trump had colluded with Russia during the, 19, in, 2016. In the 2016 campaign, people were saying, people who should know better in the news media, this is the first time that there has ever been an example of you know a presidential campaign being influenced by a foreign power, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Forget that. Forget that. <laughs> Nixon was was totally influenced.
0: Oh my goodness! He, he oh, was wow.
2: totally under the thumb because of deals made to influence the election with South Vietnam. Well, just went so th- you know, I, so in terms of what what we succeeded in, yes. we, we we succeeded in bringing the negotiations to the very. We, we resolved all the major issues except for that issue, and then I asked the question: What could have forced Nixon's hand on Chu? And the answer to me is that this is where the job of Congress or the job of the press really came into play. Because these rumors were circulating back then. And a full and thorough investigation, either by Congress or by the news media, that that identified the fact that Nixon had had this collusion with uh, Tew, would have undercut Tew and support for Tew. And that is the way, frankly, that the war in some ways could have been cut short by as much as 5 years. Yeah. If they I mean that was really beyond the power of the peace movement uh to to influence that issue. Uh but so it's, it's where there could have been coordination with the press, coordination with Congress uh that would have made a huge difference at that point. Beyond that I'd say, you know, May Day was cathartic for a lot of people. It certainly changed my life. Yes. It changed a lot of people's lives. People did things and committed themselves to work going forward that was influenced by taking a stand, taking a risk, going outside the box, and doing something unconventional. It's also true that May Day influenced the next generation of protests, particularly around uh, nuclear power, uh, Central America, uh, the AIDS ACT UP uh, activism that grew out of that, and. To a certain extent, those were movements that used civil disobedience. They're also movements that had affinity groups. They're also movements that had decentralized leadership. Yes. As you say, it also influenced the next generation of discussion around feminism and around LBGTQ rights. Yep. Uh, partly it influenced feminism because Mayday did not have very, you know, gender-diverse leadership. Yeah, mostly. it's true guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there was backlash to that and, and the movie I don't, I think that was the end of that kind of leadership, frankly. True. I think um, that was the end of it. It also was true Yeah. There was, you know we we were under too much influence by the Chicago 7 celebrities at that point. That's a whole other discussion.
0: <laughs> that is well I'll tell you one thing. Every person I know, including myself and you, we're all glad we went there. Everybody's proud of our participation at May Day. Uh, Yeah, if people want to follow your work currently, is there something on the Internet you can point them to? I mean, you've made a lot of really good
2: Yeah, I have a website, uh, kingdomcounty.org, www.kingdomcounty.org. The films that I've made are available there. I've made a lot of dramatic films. um,
0: Yeah, some good stuff. That have nothing to do with Mayday
2: or with – although there's a Mayday film – there is a made film that we use for organizing the event that we do, we have available. I don't. It's not online. I don't think it. Maybe it is. You can look for it. Uh, it's called "Time Is Running Out."
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, people could email me if they wanted to get a copy of it. I could send it to them.
0: Thank you so much, Jay Craven, for being here today. Great discussion, and uh, it's important for people to uh, learn about this uh, lesser-known part of American history, of which many of us are proud. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.
2: All right. My pleasure. Thank you. See-